Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome back to the show, and a very special welcome to this first episode of the sixth season of Appalachian Firesides. Uh, it's so hard to believe that uh, it's been six years, six years, oh my God, it's not six years, six seasons since we started. You know, who, I certainly didn't expect it to last this long. I thought that this was just going to be a two, three month project, and it's lasted much longer, and I am so thankful for that. I am so thankful for the community that has built around this project. It's not just me, it's all of you as well, it's all of our guests and all of the friends who support uh, through listening, through following along on social media, through an encouraging word. Uh, needless to say, and to sum it up, I am just so thankful for this community that we have here. I'm thankful for each and every one of you, and I'm so glad for this new season to start and for us to get back into the groove of things. I provided a little bit of an update a couple weeks ago on the Instagram. I kind of stepped away from social media, uh, at least on the podcast side of things, once I started law school in August. Uh, By the way, I just finished my first semester a week from yesterday as I'm recording this. I meant to publish this on Monday, December 11th, but it really wouldn't be an Appalachian fireside season if we weren't just a little bit later than I had planned on publishing an episode, so staying true to form there. Um, But I finished up a week from yesterday, and I mentioned this a little bit in that uh, post I'd made on Instagram, but this is definitely the most challenging thing I've ever done, and rightfully so. It's good that it's challenging. But I definitely believe that it is worthwhile for me to do, and I believe wholeheartedly that I made the right decision. And so it's just how, the, how in the words of the, the, the song from Arthur Morgan's Last Ride on Red Dead Redemption 2, that's the way it is. And I'm not going to mention anything more about that because uh, that's, that scene is just so powerful and moving that I might break into tears right now. So we're not going to do that. Uh, for those of you who've played Red Dead Redemption 2, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Anyway, I'm just so glad for us to be starting with this new season, and I'm really, really excited to get back into the swing of things because I was telling my dad about this when I was recording and editing this audio. I forgot how much fun podcasting is for me. You know, I I am not the best at it, but I have fun doing it, and that's all that matters, I think. And, you know, I'm just trying to add my voice to the many other voices that are in conversation about how we can best represent and best advocate for the Appalachian region and most importantly the people who live here. And so I'm glad to continue doing my small part in that uh, endeavor. And I'm glad that you all are along for the ride. I was just trying to think of what all that I could say to update you guys on everything that's happened since my last episode with uh, Matthew in August on uh, his book about uh, RFK's uh, trip to East Kentucky. Uh, you know, I've just been busy with school, really, just trying to ease into things. You know, it's a different way of learning than I was used to in undergrad. Uh, but it's fun. It's challenging, but it's really fun. Also, uh, celebrating Andy Bashir's re-election was great. Still recovering from celebrating that. Uh, he is being inaugurated today. I don't know if he's already taken the oath. He did at midnight last night. But anyway, so glad that Governor Bashir has been re-elected. He's definitely the governor that we deserve here in Kentucky, and I'm just so excited to see what he does in the next four years, and I have no doubt that it'll be just as great as he has done in these past four years. Uh, I am so glad to be joined today by Zach Shrewsbury. Zach Shrewsbury is the presumptive Democratic nominee for Senate in West Virginia. Uh, If you haven't heard, Joe Manchin, the incumbent senator for West Virginia, who is on paper a Democrat, uh, announced that he will not seek re-election to the Senate next year. Now, some folks had a mixed perception of this. From what I can tell, 
mainstream Democrats, moderate Democrats, and moderate uh, Republicans and moderate independents were very sad that Manchin would not be seeking re-election because he is nominally a moderate, a centrist. It seems to me that the people who were most excited about Joe Manchin not seeking re-election were Republicans and left-wing people. <laughs> uh, Republicans because they think that they can easily pick up this Senate seat in West Virginia and narrow the Democratic majority, and uh, progressives because we just do not like Joe Manchin, and how can you blame us? Uh, you know, I've made no qualms about my dislike for him as as a senator and when you look at the fact that with the uh, American Rescue Plan that I will give the president props for this on uh, among other things enhanced the child tax credit which meant that for every child in every family or every household that filed uh, a tax return as I understand it every child would get that family $3,500 in a tax credit so $3,500 extra dollars because you had more children in the household. And that provision cut child poverty in this country in half in the time that it was implemented. I think it was just under a year that it was in, in effect. Now put aside the fact that we shouldn't even have child poverty anywhere in the world, and certainly not in the richest country in the world, the fact that we cut child poverty in half is, I think, one of the greatest triumphs that we've ever seen as a country. Joe Manchin killed the child tax credit extension. He did not want it in the economic bill that was eventually called the Inflation Reduction Act. He prevented that from being placed in the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, put aside the many problems with the Inflation Reduction Act as it is, it really didn't do much to reduce inflation because to reduce inflation, you have to reduce corporate greed and corporate price gouging. But that was one aspect of the presidency of Joe Biden that I think everybody should be proud of. And Joe Manchin took it away. On top of that, he has been very adamant in the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which I mentioned in my second episode with uh, Jonathan Alter about the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps from the New Deal. Uh, Joe Manchin is just not a good senator. And Zach and I get into that over the course of our interview. But Zach announced that he was going to run a primary against Joe Manchin. Zach actually announced his candidacy before Manchin announced he was not running for re-election. And so uh, now Zach is the presumptive Democratic nominee for Senate in West Virginia. And he is running exactly the kind of campaign that you need in any rural place, any working class place in this country, but especially in Appalachia, especially in West Virginia. And Zach and I talk about his background, what got him into organizing and uh, politics. Uh, we talk a lot about his campaign and what he wants to do. This race is about destigmatizing issues. Now, I'm going to let him explain that. He does it in a far better way than I could. Uh, but just know that Zach is the working class candidate in this race. Joe Manchin could not claim that for himself. None of the Republican candidates running for this seat can claim that for themselves. Zach Shrewsbury is the working class candidate in this race. So I was really glad to get a chance to talk to Zach about his campaign. Uh, I'm really excited to see where his campaign goes. I think it's exactly the kind of campaign that should be run by Democrats across the country if they really want to win back these folks from working class and rural areas that uh, they used to win no problem back in FDR and LBJ's day and that have 
uh, since moved away from the Democratic Party for a number of very valid reasons. And uh, I'm just so glad that I had a chance to sit down and talk to Zach about his campaign. And I hope that you guys enjoy this interview. I'm really glad for this to be the leadoff hitter for season six. I'm really excited for all that's to come in this season. And I think that you guys are going to enjoy this conversation and all the conversations that we'll have hereafter. Thank you guys so much for listening, and let's get into it. Well, uh, Zach Shrewsbury, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're you're going to be the leadoff hitter for this new season of the show, so I can't think of a better person to have as the first guest for the for the the next season. And uh, you know, like I told you uh, just before we started, I'm really glad to have you on the show. It's an honor for me. Uh, glad to be talking to you about your campaign, about the issues facing uh, working folks in West Virginia. And, uh, you know, thank you for what you're doing. I, I really appreciate it. And I know that a lot of folks do as well. And you're advocating for them and the things they care about. So uh, before we get started, I just want to give you the floor to introduce yourself uh, to the listeners, talk about what got you into public service and, and into politics, about your campaign and anything else you'd like to say to start our conversation off. You go right ahead. The floor is yours. Yeah, sure. And like I said, thank you for having me on. Um, I truly do appreciate it. Like I said, my, my name is Zach Shrewsbury. Um, I announced on October 15th. My, I was on primary mansion. Uh, now that mansion has decided not to run, that has uh, put me at the forefront of this race. My campaign has taken off significantly, and we are maintaining that momentum. Um, some background on me: I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I did five years in the infantry, so that was two and a half years in a fleet anti-terrorism security team. The other two and a half were just regular infantry. Basically, once I moved back to West Virginia, I moved back to take care of my grandmother. I saw how bad off my home was, and I've been, you know, across the country. I've been overseas, overseas to different countries, and I saw how, you know, how different economies were. I'm like, why can't my state prosper? Mm. So I dived into community organizing. Um, that started with delivering water to a community that had poison water. You know, we showed up at a truckload with, I think, 8,056 bottles of water for, for oh, wow. them. That kind of kicked it off. We began feeding people, um, feed, feeding the houseless people in West Virginia. That game to getting warming layers for them. To, you know, and advocating for people who could be advocated for. And we started branching into how, trying to help the addiction crisis, breaking off on um, that, trying to do Narcan trainings, for instance, to destigmatize Narcan so people right. could understand it saves lives, it's not something bad. And then that led me into uh, working with different organizations, pushing for legislation um, across the board, like for the People Act, Pro Act, uh, fighting for unions. And then my biggest one I've been doing here lately has been going across the coal fields. Um, trying to get solar panels into the coal fields, and there's a lot of interest around that actually. <laughs> right. So that led me that led me into one of my main talking points before I did this was um, you know, why can't we bring manufacturing jobs to West Virginia? Let's build the renewable energy manufacturing jobs here. That creates a justified transition. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, essentially with Joe Manchin being Joe Manchin, yeah. uh, we 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 tried to work with him myself and the and the organizations I was with, how to work with him on different legislation. It just fell on deaf ears. We'd meet with him, didn't matter. Um, and then once he really, he got rid of the child tax credit and basically I think he was calling hot mic or he interviewed, I can't remember the top of my head, um, calling saying that uh, people don't deserve this money because they'll just use it on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That just, that, that pissed me off. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, I got my team, I got team together and we decided to do something about it. So we've been planning this for a long time and, uh, I launched and I have 
the very, very well-functioning campaign. And here we are, ready to take on whichever uh, Republican wins the nomination, probably justice. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I was so I was so glad to see that you uh, had announced that you were going to primary mansion because, you know, the uh, the the left has done that a couple of times and it's not been as successful before just because of the the weight behind him in terms of money mm-hmm. and the uh, institutional support, I should say, among uh, among the uh, Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're you're uh, the issues that you're focusing on are what matter and what are most prescient for working class people in West Virginia. And they also are the issues that, uh, you know, people I, I talk to folks about this all the time, you know, being from Eastern Kentucky and being someone who shares uh, a lot of your beliefs is that, you know, places like Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, they're not unwinnable because once you have people like yourself who are talking about these issues that are affecting working people, you can get working people to turn out because yes. most most working class people don't vote. No. So you got to give them something to vote for. And, and, exactly. and that's why that's one reason why I'm so excited to have uh, to, to have you on the, the ballot and in this race as the person that I think can deliver for those those folks in West Virginia. So you, you touched on a lot of uh, issues that you're focusing on in the campaign and it all relates back to the the economic condition of working people and how it's just been uh, deteriorating for for a really long time uh, in West Virginia and places like it uh, as as well across the country. Uh, but uh, so I'm I'm just curious what 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 is the one uh, issue that you feel is the most important for you to focus on uh, in terms of the campaign in a way that you can really reach out to those people who haven't been uh, who the Democratic Party nationally hasn't made an effort to reach out to. Man, that is, that is it's hard to narrow down. No, sure, yeah, because <laughs> um, they all lead into one or the other. Um, ultimately, for for West, I mean, for West Virginia, it's, it's more of a twofold. For the West Virginia, a lot of it's around the addiction crisis. Yeah, because it has affected everybody. Yeah, and you know, I've been on campaign before where that was one of the main issues, and uh, the candidate I had was a big, uh, very big organizer in that realm, and she was she had a lot of positive responses from Republicans and Democrats about that. Because everyone's been affected. And that showed me that, you know, that's one of those across party lines because, you know, people right. are, people are losing family members to that. And in West Virginia and probably in, in most of Appalachia and America, really, um, we don't treat people with any compassion. We just throw them in jail. And then where everyone else, who, who, anyone who's not an addict is being taught in these hills and hollers that um, people who are are lesser than. Right. And then that's that's wrong. Um, we don't treat people with compassion. We don't encourage a recovery. We don't try to engage in harm reduction whatsoever. We uh, we have too bit we have too much of a government trying to um make it make it seem like a bad thing. Um, harm reduction, and I'm saying we should we should engage in harm reduction. We should just treat people like people and actively help people. You know, putting people in jail in West Virginia, for instance, is not working. All you're doing is putting people in jail, and the cycle just repeats. Now you give them a record. Now they can't find a job in a place that job jobs are not plentiful. And so what else happens? You just compete, you completely complete the cycle of trying to survive, which leads to crime. So my biggest thing is we have to treat people with compassion. I think that goes across party lines with everyone, Republican or Democrat, no matter what, someone here has experienced a family member or a friend that's uh, been in addiction. Right. And we should be helping people, not even with care about people, keep people alive. Why is that so, why is that so hard? Because people are being told over and over again from Republicans from corporate Democrats, whatever have you, um, how to believe that way. I think that's one of the main issues really is through to working people here in West Virginia, so to speak. Now, the rest of it really at least into that, really into the economy, at least into the jobs, 
that leads into you know what's available that leads into wages you know yeah. really is it is the root of everything because it's you know it, it can be solved through a myriad of ways but it's, it is the root problem no i think i think you're right and and when you adopt when those principles are adopted of treating people like human beings you know that that certainly plays into the the uh real struggle that a lot of folks are having with uh addiction in in our region both those who who do have substance uh who struggle with substance misuse and their families uh, who who are also affected very deeply by that and when like like you said when you give folks resources when you commit to treating them like human beings and trying to help them rather than just punishing them and and only having that as the only viable way of of treatment when you adopt those principles that can lead to a lot of real change i think and yeah and in terms of the economy, when you commit to treating people like human beings in that respect, like you said, you know, you commit to, okay, let's pay them a wage where it's livable, where they only have to yes. work one job, where they're more than just a way for a corporate bigwig to make money. When yeah. uh, you give them the right to organize with their their coworkers to achieve better working conditions uh, and, and just a better standard of living for themselves that they deserve as human beings, but also that yeah. they deserve because without them, there is no profit that can be made by the company. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and the, there's the, a, the, the worker. The worker is the key to all. Is the key. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's not, it's not the employer. It's the, it's the guy. It's the laborer. Right. And that's something we we've forgotten about, especially in Appalachia, because we we are the laboring. We are the laborers. Exactly. More often, you know, we fight the wars. <laughs> like, but people have forgotten about that because they're just completely. We're always told. We're always told differently. And I'm trying to. I'm trying to change that narrative. I'm trying to you know give people wake up calls saying you know we can advocate for ourselves. You can have a better life. You know, unions, unionize, right. protect yourself. Your job is not your friend and never will be. You right. will be replaced in a second. You know, and sometimes it takes people it, it takes that replacement for people to wake up, sadly. But yeah, yeah. and and that's also because uh, there's a there's a there's a history that a lot of people don't realize is in especially West Virginia. I've actually got my my West Virginia Mine Wars Museum mug right here. <laughs> um, but you know that that history of working people banding together to to advocate for themselves and to insist that they deserve to be treated better is deeply deeply rooted in West Virginia in particular. Uh, and and that's something that, you know, also that the Democratic Party as a whole and Joe Manchin specifically has uh forgotten as a way of trying to, you know, of of that's not something that they talk about. And, you know, for Manchin, he's got his own reasons. He's uh, for doing so, you know, the he's a, isn't he, isn't he, I, I never can quite remember. I think he, he made his money in the coal business, didn't he? Um, well, he comes from his family was wealthy. To begin yeah, with. that's it. Yeah. yeah he, he, I think he has a couple of coal mines. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember where I, I believe it's, it's, it's inherited wealth and family name because his right. dad ran for office back in the day. He does own oh, that's uh, right. does yeah. own mine up near uh, Fairmont, I believe. But I, I could be wrong in that location. I got. I, sometimes I, I get him and Don Blankenship mixed up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me start on Don Blankenship. Right. <laughs> but 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 regardless, you know, uh, he he's someone who the the last thing that he wants is to talk about how workers can band together to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Um. But but no, that that history and that that uh uh tradition of of worker empowerment is something that. You know, your focus on it, I think, is the key to winning in a place like West Virginia, where a lot of people are not inspired to vote because they see the options that they're given. And, yeah. you know, they 
it's it's the same in eastern Kentucky. You know, the reason that a lot of working people don't turn out to vote is that they are convinced that whichever party wins, they're not going to help their material well-being. And a lot yeah. of times and a lot of times that's true. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you tell folks and when you give folks a real alternative as someone like you who's going to advocate for those important issues related to their jobs, their well-being, the the well-being of their families, it can make the difference in getting them to turn out and and really you know, shock people in terms of how they vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another another topic I wanted to to bring up and just kind of get your uh, your take on was you know related to uh, infrastructure in terms of physical infrastructure uh, and also human infrastructure in terms of uh, making sure that you have uh, teachers who are well paid that you have social workers who are well paid that you have resources for folks who are you know, struggling with uh, being unhoused with food insecurity. Yeah. So uh, I, I wondered if you would maybe talk on that a little bit. Sure. I mean. Food insecurity is a big thing in West Virginia that people don't really talk about. I mean, we had we I think we should have food pantries across across the state. We should fund them, right? You know, we should we should fund those because a lot of food pantries try their best, but they're based on you know their uh, nonprofits or they're they're based on their charities and you know they struggle to get all you know stuff in it each month. But they're good people trying to help. Why can't you know the state should be funding that to help people? Um, our regular our physical infrastructure for roads and bridges are horrible. Um, I always make the joke. You can always tell when Jim Justice is running for a re-election because the ro- the roads around Charleston get paved. <laughs> so so far so far is accurate, right? <laughs> um, um, but so the roads are almost used as a uh, political tool here. Um, for pay for, for paving, you don't see much road construction. Well, you, right. you do on the but for all the back roads, you see the construction come out for election time. So all the politicians are going to say, "Oh, look what I'm doing." for for your area because then it's fresh in people's minds right but ultimately the roads fall to disrepair the bridges are old um our roads are collapsing there's potholes all over the place it's the destroying cars left and right so we absolutely need uh funding for that we need public transportation in appalachia yeah, yeah. I, I, and that would solve a lot of um job and security here as well i mean people let's say you're in um logan county for instance in west virginia there's not a lot of jobs for anybody there you have to travel almost an hour in in every direction to find the uh employment hubs which is like beckley or princeton right and you know if someone doesn't own a car you can't go to work you can't pay your bills if you can't afford a car you, it, it just sets people up for, for failure that's why i keep saying the system is stacked against you but if you actually put public transportation have a buses going back and forth trying to get people to um from the uh coal fields to these areas that's one that's one big thing for you know expand public transportation um yeah but infrastructure wise i mean we're lacking in all of it right and, that, and that's across the board and it, it it's not like we don't have the money it's it seems like our politicians just don't care or they just don't seem to know what to do and that's the, that's my biggest problem is why what what's the hold up what is the issue Who, like is it just because you just want to make money you just don't care about people like what what is what is happening because it's, right. it's, it's 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 asinine no, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that goes back into the whole uh, conversation of like whenever uh, folks are advocating for uh, providing health care for everybody or or you know, providing uh, jobs for people, it's always that, you know, we don't we don't have the money. Oh. Well, you know, we're the richest country in the history of the world. We have the money. We just have, uh, you know, a, an economy exactly like you said, that's stacked against working people and poor people uh, in a way that, you know, we have enough for. Uh, you know, trillions of dollars in tax cuts for for right. the wealthy. We have enough for, uh, you know, to have the biggest military budget in the world, but we don't have enough to take no, ostensibly don't, don't we don't have enough, enough to, to take take care of people. 
Yeah, there's not. Yeah, there's never enough to help teachers. I mean, we we should be. It should be a national embarrassment that teachers have to buy their own school supplies. Absolutely. That that that's insane. The fact we don't pay teachers a very high wage is is insane. Like the people who are sacrificing their lives to educate youth to go into um to live their lives, it, we we should be praising teachers. I have a very extensive teaching platform. I can go on <laughs> all day. Like we should encourage you know teachers unions again you know this right. whole thing of we're trying to we're basically we're here in west virginia they're trying to destroy public education and put it on to private which just as we all know will lead to being the inequality of uh if you're poor you can't even get education right you know, like i said like but like like we were saying the money's there we have it's always amazing now we have plenty of money to send overseas but we can't send we can't send any to appalachia we can't right um forgive student loans we can't do public education we can't do universal health care anything that helps working people we just america just can't seem to do right exactly exactly um you, you mentioned your 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 teaching platform i'd, I'd love to you know hear more about because i know that a lot of folks in communities like ours you know teachers are you know a very common profession to have and it's something that you know you a lot of exactly like you said they're the ones who are responsible for educating the next generation and you know a lot of people talk about the issue of young people leaving you know rural uh, places in in Appalachia in particular and not coming back. And, you know, there's there's two sides of it where, you know, of course you would rather that they stay, but at the same time, if you don't give folks an opportunity, you know, what else yeah. can they do for themselves and their families? So uh, yeah. uh maybe talk a little bit more about your your platform for education. So yeah, but my, my biggest ones are pay raises immediately. Right. right. Like we need to fight for pay raises for teachers across the board. I think West Virginia is around thirty thousand, I think it is. Yeah. Um, I'm just going off the top of my head. Uh, the whole school supply scenario is that the state should fund school supplies, or at least give enough money to those schools to where the school can buy school supplies. Right. Those classrooms. It should not come out of the teacher's own budget. Uh, we should fight for stronger teacher unions. Um, classroom sizes are usually too large for teachers to handle. Right. So we need to hire more teachers, and pay more them teachers. well. That would, yep. that would increase um, the classroom sizes. Because you know, if you're if you're you're one person, you can't handle. Uh, 40 kids all at right. once. That's, that's you know you can't you can't teach all that so that, that that's 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 some of the, the biggest ones off the top of my mind you try to handle classroom sizes and actively fund the schools you know actively put money in the teachers pockets not just the administration right not just from you know we we always focus on there's always one person at the top yeah making a lot of money while the teachers once again like the working class the working class aren't getting anything <laughs> right um, that, 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 but that's my biggest that's really my biggest one is raise their pay um, fund, fund, fund the schools to the point where schools across the board can at, at least give school supplies. You know, that should, it, it shouldn't be, and frankly, it shouldn't be on, you know, I grew up, um, my family, but you know, we got to go buy school supplies. Well, if you, if, if families don't have the money for that, why is it on the family to buy school supplies for the school that your kid has right. to go to? Exactly. You know? look, look, and then like if you the family can't do it, why is it on the teacher right. <laughs> to buy the supplies? Right. It's it's setting up it's setting them up for failure if they can't if yeah. family can't afford them. And then it's putting more strain on the teachers who, you know, who were already experiencing uh, a lot of pressure in this profession already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about is and you mentioned it towards the top. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, treat the need for a renewable energy centered economy and the condition in Appalachia as just you have to you have to either help the economy in Appalachia or you have to have a green economy that you can't have both. And, you know, I think I think that it's a lot more nuanced than that. You know, of, of course, it's not something that, 
with an industry that's as ingrained as you know fossil fuel is, it's going to take some time, and, and you know there's a lot of issues to work out. But it it is possible, and if we accept that it is possible to have a green economy in Appalachia that helps people, that helps workers, uh, you know, there's a lot more possibilities and opportunities that are opened up. So uh, I'd love to hear uh, your uh, focus on that aspect of it. Sure. So, like I said um, early on, that that's the whole argument, and a lot of uh, your more liberal talking points will say shut down coal mines. You mean right? And what's that do? That just once again isolates working people. Exactly. You know, it shoves working class people into the hands of the Republicans who are now fear, who are now having fear mongering tactics, telling them, look at Democrats destroying your jobs. Yeah. What I'm saying is, one, we have to have we have to protect workers that 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 requires a justified transition. Well, you have to have something for workers to transition to. Right. So most of our renewable energy is um, built in China. What, I, what I've gathered. Um, solar panels and windmills are all built in China and we ship it here. Why can't we build it in West Virginia? Right. We we've been an energy hub for decades. We powered the nation with coal. Let's do let's do it, let's do it again, but in a different light. That gives a big economic boost to West Virginia. We now are a manufacturing center. And then you give those jobs, or you give, you know, miners, for instance, or fossil fuel workers the ability to transition to those jobs, help train them, pay them the same, make sure their families keep all the benefits they already have. And get them to those jobs first. That way, you're allowed. You're actively allowing a justified transition. Of course, if they don't want to do that, then that's perfectly fine. But actively give people that line. And then, you know, I don't see the negatives to that. You're embracing a future industry where the economic boost and job boost would be amazing right. for the area. You can set an example for the rest of Appalachia, which could do the same. And if you even want to go from a, a different, um, a different round on this, look at the matter of national security. At this point, you're energy independent. Right. So. You're you're not you're you're not uh, obeying the oil the oil industry has to say you're not obeying what the gas industry has to say you know what have you, but that's that's the whole problem you have to fight against the corporate executives who make a lot of money in coal oil and gas, and uh, they don't want that they don't want the energy independence that we could have them but once again it benefits the worker. Right, uh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know that that's a uh, that's something that I've I've had a lot of conversations with folks where, you know. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand that the loyalty and the devotion that, um, you know, a lot of people in places like West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky that have relied on fossil fuel jobs for a long time, you know, they just, they just want a good job. They just want a yeah. job that's going to pay them well, that's going to take care of their families, going to give them the benefits that they deserve. Yeah. And, you know, that is another aspect of it where, you know, this whole idea of either a, a, a green economy or a good Appalachian economy, they're treated as, you know, it's either one or the other. That's another way that that kind of narrative is is propped up because, you know, people don't realize that, you know, these folks in these communities, they just, they just want a good job. And if yeah. you can, if you can provide it through that plan that you were detailing, uh, it's something that a lot of people, uh, I think would, would go for in a way to, uh, that would end up helping us all around as you, as you described on all those fronts. Yeah, Absolutely. One hundred percent, and that's that's the whole thing is, and that, and that's and that's it. There's both talking points from both sides. I've had a lot. Well, I've talked to coal miners, right? Most don't care about coal mining. They just like the, they enjoy the pay. It's a high paying job. I would right. You know, give them the, the same pay in a different new industry. Um, then I've also talked about also on the other side of things, and this is a a very Democrat problem. You know, I've had a lot of interviews where people have literally said, "Why not kill coal?" Well, you can't just outright kill coal, <laughs> like. And that and that talking point 
just serves as a jab to everybody in Appalachia. Yeah, that Republican that Republicans use, you know, ch- change the narrative by actively saying a justified transition for workers. You can't just forget about a large group of people here for for it. We have you. You have to actively transition. And it will take time. It will. Right. That, that's just a matter of reality. It's going. It's not going to be instant. It's going to take time to you know, to build it, bring it here. But it's it's a transition that has to happen. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and uh, you know, it's like you said that uh, that kind of approach of like why not why not just go for it? Well, you know at, at that that kind of approach that a lot of folks on uh, like the mainstream uh, Democratic side would would argue for it it hurts workers more than anything else uh, in 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 just immediately ceasing all kind of activity related to the fossil fuel industry. You know, like not saying that. Like, of course, we need to have a just transition in order to have a greener economy that helps the planet more. But also in that respect, it'll help. Uh, it'll help people in the long run as well. Because yes, when you yes. have a, a an environment that and that's another thing that uh, that West Virginia and, and Appalachia has struggled with in terms of, you know, uh, um, it's like the what happened with DuPont Chemical and and uh, C8 and the, the chemicals that they were letting into the, the water supply. This this whole struggle for an environment that's safe to grow up in and it's safe to live in is another part of uh, is another issue that's faced a lot of communities in Appalachia and West Virginia in particular. And, you know, that feeds this idea of a just transition, as you were laying it out, feeds into that as well, where you can have an economy that helps people, that is good for the planet. And because it's good for the planet, it's good for people as, as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It works hand in hand. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Zach, I'd love for you to to uh, talk about any other issues that you'd like to to bring up in what you're focusing on with the campaign and, and where things are right now. I, I think uh, I don't know exactly when the when the primary is, but as, as far as I know, you're the only uh, declared Democrat in this race. You must have really scared Manchin. Get him out of there. <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um, so uh, anything else you'd like to talk about related to the campaign? Go right ahead. Well, like I said, as of right now, I am the only candidate. Um, I expect the primary chapter to appear because, you know, I, I don't I doubt the uh, your more corporate corporate wing of the Democratic Party will will allow me just to sm- smooth them, smooth them away to the general. But we've been prepared sure. for that. We figured this would happen. Um, ultimately, the other thing I would touch on is that uh, this campaign's about destigmatizing issues. You know, like I said, we're trying to break, we're going to quit stigmatizing Narcan, for instance, West Virginia. Um, I've been saying I'm pro-abortion, for instance. We have to, de- we have to destigmatize the word abortion. So it's something it's, it's, it's something that happens. You know, it's right. not my business, not your business, not, that, not any politician's business, what someone chooses to do with their body. So I mean, I'm trying to destigmatize the word abortion. The other thing I try to do with this campaign is try to give workers a voice. You know, actively, I've had a lot of people reach out to me um, actively saying, hey, this is going on in my community. This is what's happening here. It really just trying to amplify community causes um, across Appalachia, especially West Virginia, and to allow people to understand what's happening here, to allow um, a lot of these good community organizers in West Virginia to be recognized on a, in a, on a national level. And the bigger platform I can get, the more I can recognize them. But end of the day for this campaign, since Mansion's dropped out, we've taken off. Um, I have a great team. We have uh, our fundraising has picked up spectacularly, and we're moving forward a thousand miles an hour. Um, I'm one of the hardest workers in the state and, uh, I'm not laying down for anything. We're moving forward, uh, come hell or high water. And in the day, I am the working class candidate in this race. I know where West Virginia stands. I know their issues because I am from the same cloth. Right. And not candidate in this race will ever be able to say the same. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, I, I was thinking about that tweet that you, that you put out and it was the one that I had, had, had reposted, um, 
where you you said it should it shouldn't be a crime to be poor and and that that really that really stuck stuck out to me and it has sense and i'm sure a lot of people felt the same way because you know a, a lot of the uh conditions in appalachia have been and and similar working class communities have been constructed by those with money with power with privilege to make it so that it is you know darn near a crime to be poor that it's impossible to live as a poor person and yep. to combat that you know there's a lot of different ways we can but one way that we have to is by having public officials and candidates like yourself who come from a working class background who know these issues because they've lived them and who want to reach out to people that have been ignored and been pushed to the margins and bring them in to stand and advocate for themselves and to advocate for each other and to advocate for a better world. And I think, uh, and a better community for themselves and for their children. And I think that's exactly what you're doing in this race. And you know, I, I'm just so glad that, you know, the working class have a candidate like you in this race who they know will have their back. And I'm excited to see where the campaign goes from here. You know, I, I wish you the best of luck and you know, I'm glad to, um, be having you on the show to, you know, to talk about these issues that are important to, to your community and communities across Appalachia and to just help, you know, spread the word about your campaign. And before we go, um, uh, if folks are interested in learning more about you and learning more about how they can get involved, uh, is, are there any resources like a website that you'd want to point them to yeah. and, and how can they help out? Yeah, just, uh, anyone can go to Shrews- Shrewsbury for Senate.com. Um, there's a volunteer link there. If anyone wants to volunteer, I'm also on every social media, TikTok, X, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on all those. Um, and I also, you know, always encourage donations on act blue. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to learn anything about platform, um, you can always just message, message me on Twitter or go right to, uh, my website, shrewsbury.com. And I'll, I'll be sure to include links to your, your social media accounts and your campaign website in the, in the description of the, the episode here. Um, well, Zach, we've got uh, just a few minutes left, and again, I want to thank you for, for for running this race and for for standing up for the workers in West Virginia as a the kind of person they need in public office and they deserve to have in public office. And thank you as well for your time today. It's been great uh, getting to know you, talking to you about your campaign. I'm excited to see where it goes from here, and uh, just thank you so much again. And uh, anything you'd like to say to close us out, uh, you go right ahead. The floor is yours. Well, like I guess I've said before, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And like I said, but this race, I'm doing, I'm doing it differently. This race is about destigmatizing issues. It's about amplifying working class people's voices. In the day, I'm the working class candidate, and none of them will be able to say the same. They won't be. They will have that. No, none of these candidates will have any understanding of how we live. Absolutely. And again, I'm just, I'm I'm really glad to to have you in that in this race as the working class candidate, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Zach. And thank you. Well, thank you guys so much for listening again this week. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and thank you as well for all that you do to support the podcast, whether you listen, follow on social media, give an encouraging word, whatever you do and however you do it to support the podcast. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to join us again next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform that you listen on. Give me your thoughts on what you'd like, what you would change, how I could do better. Just let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your all's thoughts. If you like that background music that you're listening to, that is a piece called In the Sweet By and By by a great artist named Zachariah Hickman. Be sure to check them out on YouTube. And don't forget to follow the podcast on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on all that's going on. 
I hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of Appalachian Firesides. But until then, be well, love your neighbor, and do good things. Catch you guys next time.